Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Jonathan Strickland, and here is... Lauren Vogelbaum. Yep, that's 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 my co-host, everybody. Today we are going to talk a little bit about security. It's an important thing. Cyber security, specifically. Yeah, you got to secure your cybers. You as do. As it turns out. All, all your cybers. All your cybers are belong to you and should continue to do so. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about cybersecurity because... Because President Obama did. Yes, he did. The President of the United States of America uh, had his State of the Union address, which is when the President, if you are not from the United States or perhaps just are politically... Uh, Completely separate from anything that goes on. A little know. bit lost and confused, perhaps, yeah. or maybe maybe you haven't been to the internet. Maybe you live as a hermit off in the distance and you only get human contact through podcasts, in which case, hey, thanks for choosing ours. But yeah, uh, every every year the, the president uh, has this this forum where he begins to to address how the country is doing and what his administration or her administration, should we ever get a female president? I'm sure it's 
going Some, to happen sometime. Someday, someday, any any year now. But anyway, that is when the president will uh, lay out plans for what is going, what the government will focus on in the following year, assuming the rest of the government plays ball. Because again, United States government, it's not just the president. Sure, uh, sure. But it, but it's kind of saying what's important. Yeah, yeah. And I personally, kind of side note, I feel like this has become less critical to politics now in this this our information age than it was, for example, 50 or 60 years ago when people didn't really have direct and continual access to everything bloody going on in the government all the time. Yeah, that's, that's a good point because earlier you would hear the president essentially during the State of the Union address and after any major uh, event like a mm-hmm. catastrophe or not even not not necessarily something bad but usually it had to be something big and then the president would end up addressing the nation about it uh, but in this case we now live in a world where we get this information on a fairly continuous basis I mean you could follow the president on Twitter and get huh. information or uh, just the 24-hour news coverage of what's sure. going on in the governments out there too but anyway state of the Union kind of traditionally seen as a big important event here in the US so Uh, During the 2013 State of the Union, one of the many points the president addressed was cybersecurity. Now, that was not the 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 entire focus of the speech. In fact, it only took up a small section. About a minute and a half, I think. Yeah. In fact, I can I can read out verbatim what he said because uh, the text is available on the uh, on the internet of all things. So um, here's what President Obama had to say about cybersecurity. America must also face the rapidly growing threat from cyber attacks. We know hackers steal people's identities and infiltrate private email. We know foreign countries and companies swipe our corporate secrets. Now our enemies are also seeking the ability to sabotage our power grid, our financial institutions, and our air traffic control systems. We cannot look back years from now and wonder why we did nothing in the face of real threats to our security and our economy. That's why earlier today I signed a new executive order that will strengthen our cyber defenses by increasing information sharing and developing standards to protect our national security, our jobs, and our privacy. Now, Congress must act as well by passing legislation to give our government a greater capacity to secure our networks and deter attacks. So, really, this, of course, just served to alert the nation to, yes, we are aware of the problem, and yes, we are going to do something to respond to this problem. Uh, but, of course, the, the the speech was not the right venue to go into detail about what that was going to be. Right, right. These these kinds of speeches aren't really used for extreme detail of any kind. It's it's more, more hey, stuff. Yeah, hey, problem. We're going to fix it. Yay! How How are we going to fix it? Look over here at the Chewbacca. Um, yeah, no, it, and this is regardless of who is in power. It's just that's yeah, the yeah. way that's the way it works. Yeah, we, we we are by the way trying very hard in this episode to to not let any of our personal politics enter into this discussion. So, sure. Yeah. So this is this is actually us being being as fair as we possibly can be. And, and if we wind up making a little bit of fun of of any given administration, it's not. Yeah, it's not politically motivated. No, in this case, it's motivated by our knowledge of how technology works, how policy works, and how those two things don't necessarily mesh very well. Uh, and that, that that's regardless of what your political stance is. Oh, sure. Whether you're conservative or liberal, no matter what. It's it's just that technology is kind of apolitical. 
just as a tool. Now, you can use it for political means. But anyway, getting into this, we we really wanted to talk more about the executive order itself because that's where – the approach that that Obama wants the government to take—that's where that's where it comes from. Right, right. And um, I, I read a I read a great write up that Michael Daniel, who is Obama's cybersecurity coordinator, wrote up about it. Um, and and he was just saying that that basically the executive order breaks down into three parts, and that's um, basically just uh, it covers information sharing first mm-hmm. off, which means that it really wants the. Uh, different segments of the government to work with all of these private companies that run run our technology infrastructure and our power infrastructure mm-hmm. um, to share information about any any cyber threats that are going on and um, yeah it's the first big section because obviously uh, the issue here is that sometimes the government gets information but depending upon the classification of that information they may not be able to share it uh, very uh, on a very wide distribution and beyond that sometimes when you get information in the government it's really hard for that information to escape the government so in other words this is supposed to lay the groundwork to allow the government to share information with entities that are critical to our infrastructure and also going the other way giving giving those entities uh uh, incentive. Basis, incentive. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, incentive to also share any information that they have about some cyber attacks, any cyber attacks that might be occurring back to the government so that the government can do more to help out. Right. And we'll we'll dive into more about how that's a challenge in a little bit because, as it turns out, you know, it sounds it totally sounds, rational. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah totally. It's very Yay, logical. information like, for everybody. Right. No, like, totally. like, like, we just got attacked. We should let the government know. But I'll, I'll get into why a lot of companies – don't really necessarily see that as the best option. Right, right. All right, so that's part one. Part two um, um, kind of outlines a, uh, a flexible risk-based package of core practices um, based on existing standards of cybersecurity. Yeah, so this is looking at there, – there are several organizations already that are working toward the best practices for cybersecurity – and so this is kind of trying to, to say, let's take a look at all of this stuff and and pick and choose the best out of all of it and use that as the framework for what everyone should do. That's also possibly going to be a bottleneck, but I'll get to that when we get a little further into this. Yes, discussion. yes. The, uh, the, third, the third part then deals with privacy protections. Yeah. Because uh, when you're dealing with these companies that have a lot of private citizens' data, or even their own private corporate data, or you know, or or on the other end from the government, the government doesn't doesn't want anything sensitive to end up being revealed that they don't want to give out. Right. Yeah. Let's, so you know, companies have proprietary information, for example. Sure. So let's say that uh, a cyber attack focuses on something that involves proprietary information, information that is necessary for that company to keep secret. It's a trade secret. It's something that allows them to do business the way they do it. And make money. And make money. Yeah. So, for example, just this is a random example that I just thought up right now, but the Google algorithm. Okay. Because okay. yeah. Google algorithm, that's essentially the, the, the recipe that tells Google how to rank uh, search results on any given query. Well, that's a that's pretty useful information to have, especially if you're building websites. Uh, but let's say that cyber they, they, that Google suffered a cyber attack, and part of the information that was compromised was this Google algorithm, which is kind of like their their secret sauce. You know, it's it's not not <laughs> uh-huh. published, right? Sure, it's not sure. Something that it is is, is a mathematical horsey sauce. It's, right. You know, yes, it is. Yes, it's it's part of their eleven herbs and spices, and 
So they don't want that information getting out. And if they were to report the information to the government, it's possible that part of the distribution of information to everybody else, you know, saying like, well, Google was attacked, so these other companies need to be aware of this as well. The, the worry is that the algorithm itself would become part of that information distribution and then Google loses its uh, advantage in the marketplace. Right. That's, that's just a simple example and it may even be unrealistic in the sense of what we're talking about here, but it's just to kind of illustrate uh, why the government needs to take this into account when formulating policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so those those are the basic three parts, and uh, and the administration is really big on on saying that, you know, that that they want to work really hard with with companies and with the different government organizations to make all of this as sensical and um, not like work, more like sharing and hugging. Yeah, there needs to be sharing and hugging while while standing shoulder to shoulder uh, to keep the cyber attackers at bay. And you know, and and so they they say that they worked with with over two hundred companies directly, and and fifteen million employees, and all kinds of crazy numbers like that, trying to trying to work to get this information together. And and to be fair, we should also point out that these are it's a directive, but again, it does not lay out step by step how this is going to happen. It's more like saying to specific departments within the government, hey, this is what I want. Here's the result I want. You have 240 days to return to me the result I want. Go. And it's up to that individual department to determine what are the steps that it needs to take in order to meet the requirements of this executive order. Uh, this is also something that I've seen critics point at, saying a lot of the timetables that are discussed within the executive order are not necessarily realistic because you're talking about navigating such a complex issue, not just from the technology side, but from the existing policy side, that uh, that in order to, to find something that satisfies the needs of the executive order and does not violate any of these other entities that are already out there is – uh, a huge challenge and 240 days, which is just one of the the deadlines. There's some that are like 120 days, depending upon what it is. But it's just it's just not enough time. Right, and especially considering that if you've been paying attention to the news at all and say the past uh, existence of reality, you may have noticed that the different parts of American political system don't necessarily work together extremely well. And so so things. I mean, for for example, there was a Cybersecurity Act uh, last year, I believe, that tried to go through Congress. It made it past. No, that was the other one. Uh, it, it got filibustered by the Republicans. They mm. were saying that it was going to place too much of a burden on the companies that it would affect. And, yeah, and all kinds of stuff like that has been going on for the past three and a half years or really since the mid-90s when uh, computer networks became a really integral part of business. Yeah, this, this is a complicated issue because on one hand, you're talking about protecting a lot of private entities. And private entities do not have any connection to the government other than paying taxes. Honestly, as I'm sure we're all aware. But anyway, these private entities don't necessarily have any other connection to the government. They're not run by the government. It's not a socialist kind of structure. It's private structure. Uh, but that means that they, you know, uh, how far can the government come in to try and protect these entities when the entity itself is in control of something that's vital to the operation of business or national security? then there, it is in the government's interest to come in and say, look, I know that we don't have any uh, any call on how you run your business. That's not our job. But we need to protect it because how your business performs affects the citizens of this country. Right. So 
Uh, I guess we can start diving into the executive order. Did you yeah. have something else you wanted to mention before we did that? That was about it. All right. So here's the uh, here's a, an opening uh, paragraph from part of the executive order. It is the policy of the United States to enhance the security and resilience of the nation's critical infrastructure and to maintain a cyber environment that encourages efficiency, innovation, and economic prosperity while promoting safety, security, business confidentiality, privacy, and civil liberties. We can achieve these goals through a partnership with the owners and operators of critical infrastructure to improve cybersecurity, information sharing, and collaboratively develop and implement risk-based standards. That's a, that's a mouthful. That was, that um, was fascinating. That was so thrilling. It was... Yeah, it's, 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 not quite legalese. It's not. It's not so dense as to be uh, uh, completely inoperable. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can't understand a word of it without having like three lawyers on your team. But it does. It does make it kind of. You know, it's it's this very formal sort of language. Uh, part of the issue here also is that some people argue that the the terms are not narrowly defined enough to make it meaningful. For example, when you talk about operators of critical infrastructure. Um, they, there are some people who say that that's not specific enough. You know, you don't, you know, how, what, what, what is critical counts? infrastructure? Yeah. Right. Are we talking, are we talking just things like power grids? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would clearly be critical infrastructure. Uh-huh. D- does it extend to, uh, to telephones? Does it extend to dams or does to- it extend to, uh, to cybersecurity firms? Mm-hmm. Because if you're talking about something now that where you're really trying to protect people from cyber attacks, does that mean, does that, extend to the point that cybersecurity firms become part of this critical infrastructure because they are the protection against that sort of thing. Um, I'm sure that those kind of definitions will be worked out, and sometimes this sort of legislation or these executive orders, I should say not not legislation, but this executive order, sometimes these things are are vaguely worded on purpose to try and have the broadest possible application, and then you narrow it down as it's put into practice. And that's the feeling that I get from this, you know, especially since they're kind of going like, yeah, do this thing, yeah. and you work it out. Yeah, yeah so I, I'm going to go through a little bit kind of point by point of some of the sections here. And then uh, after I do that, we'll, we'll kind of talk about some of the, the not just criticisms, but just some of the observations people have made about this. Yeah. Uh, so, so it begins by talking about distributing reports of detected cybersecurity threats to private sector companies as long as those reports do not endanger investigations and law enforcement efforts and they are unclassified. So in other words, when the government gets a, a report that there's a threat, a cyber threat, uh, this is what would allow the government to send that information out to the various parties that could be affected by this cyber threat and to kind of give them a heads up saying, look, we've detected that there's uh, some operation in, let's say, China. Whether it's state-backed or it's a group of hackers who are working on their own or whatever, or maybe it's a a Russian group that looks like it's working out of China, this is complicated. We can't really be sure because of the way the Internet works and the way hackers get around this sort of thing. But they've detected that there's this credible threat, and they've detected what the potential targets are. This part of the executive order gives the government the ability to say, hey, heads up, it's coming in. And this is actually an expansion of a currently existing program um, called the uh, Defense Industrial Based Information Sharing Program, which I believe currently exists to allow government contractors to receive real-time reports about these threats. Right. And so, again, the reason why they say it it can't endanger investigations is clearly if there's a, a, like, uh, and and a a law enforcement group, whether it's it's the United States or it could be some uh, uh, international type of uh, a law enforcement group 
looking into the problem, then by sharing information, you could compromise that that investigation. So it's a delicate thing. It's it's not something where every single time there's going to be a threat, there's automatically going to be a report generated that gets sent out. It, it's going to be a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Uh, the next section talks about how classified reports will go to critical infrastructure entities that are authorized to receive them. So there will be some privately held companies that will be authorized to receive classified information, assuming that classified information relates to that entity in some way. I think it's also talking a little bit about trying to um, expedite the process of, of getting clearances for appropriate uh, uh, Indivi- a, individuals yeah. and also uh, state and government representatives to give yes. that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this, this again, is kind of like cutting away some of the red tape mm-hmm. that would exist between information and the and the entity that would most benefit from receiving it uh, in a in a cyber uh, attack kind of situation. Uh, it would also expand the enhanced cybersecurity services program to all critical infrastructure sectors, uh, which is a voluntary information sharing program. And it uh, offers cl- – this is where you were talking about. It's offering that mm-hmm. classified info to the private sector folks. But also it, it's a sharing program that is supposed to encourage companies to share information between each other to say uh, there's this cyber attack that we've uh, we've detected and it could affect your industry as well as ours. Uh, so the idea is that it's supposed to encourage these companies to participate. But it is voluntary. We'll get into that when we get into the criticisms. Um, Also, uh, beyond the security clearance being expedited, we have private sector experts uh, will be invited to come and speak to the government on a regular basis to keep the government informed about cyber risks and the best practices to respond to them. Now, this is essentially the part of the executive order that recognizes the fact that the people who hold positions of power in politics may not be technologically the savvy. The most qualified, right. right. They, they may be savvy, but even a technologically savvy person would not necessarily be up to date on the latest cyber threats. And sure. It. So this is this is to give the government the chance to maintain uh, a, a, a an ongoing dialogue with experts in the cybersecurity field so that the best policies are formed as a result and that the best practices are formed as a result. Because what works today may not work in three months. It's a funny thing about technology. And then uh, they, the next section is the one that's all about uh, privacy and civil liberties. Because apparently it's, it's a really big issue in the idea that uh, a lot of these companies have a lot of our data not just corporate data, but our personal data. So think about it, like power companies, gas companies. Uh, you've got uh, you've got credit card companies. You've sure. Got, you know, all sorts of vendors out there have information. Social networking companies. All of these have inf- personal information that could put citizens at risk if that information were shared to a broader audience. So that's the part where the the executive order says, okay, we want this culture of sharing. We want to be able to get the information to where it needs to be so that we can protect ourselves. But we don't want to do that at the expense of personal privacy and civil liberties. We don't want to violate anyone's uh, privacy or expectation to privacy. Um, so we don't want uh, a credit card company to send information to some other entity that just so happens to have the 
the all the credit card numbers, names, addresses, credit scores of everyone who's a customer with that credit card company mm-hmm. because that would be a bad thing. And so one of the things that this this requires is uh, regular assessments and public reporting of, of any kind of mishaps. Yeah. So it's an ongoing dialogue again with the government to make sure that uh, this is done in appropriate a way because, I mean, obviously – when, when people start to worry about security, it's it can be – I won't say easy, but it's possible that you overlook other concerns that you should really take into mind when mm-hmm. you're trying to protect yourself. Sure. We, uh, we usually see this in the wake of some sort of actual attack where so, an attack happens and then we just want to respond to that and make sure it doesn't happen again and you can easily set aside other concerns that you really need to keep in mind the whole time. Well, before we move on to the rest of the executive order, I think now would be a good time to take a quick break and thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids how about instead of timeouts time ins time for you to start paying some bills 
I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. And now back to the show. So the next section uh, is all about con- consulting and uh, getting various departments to talk to each other to improve security measures. So when one group sees something that's working, it can uh, communicate that with other groups. It's kind of it's kind of this idea of, of uh, inciting uh, cooperation between mm-hmm. departments and other entities. Uh, then uh, there's a section I, I've got a direct quote here. <clears throat> the Secretary of Commerce shall direct the Director of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, all, uh, for here henceforward known as a, the Director, to lead the development of a framework to reduce cyber risks to critical infrastructure, henceforth known as the Cybersecurity Framework. The Cybersecurity Framework shall include a set of standards, methodologies, procedures, and processes that align policy, business, and technological approaches to address cyber risks. That's essentially saying you have to take everything into consideration and make it into a cybersecurity approach that takes all of that into account and works, which is huge. I mean, that's just incredibly complex. I mean, policy alone is complicated. Sure. Yes, a little bit. And then you've got technology, which is constantly evolving. So what? by the time you're finished drafting a policy, it, it may be that the technology has Rendered Moved moot. beyond, sure, yeah. So now, granted, I'm not blaming anyone for this because oh, no, no. it's just that's just how reality is. Yeah, and, and I don't know how else you could word this in a way that would make sense and and get across the importance of what needs to be done. Yeah, and and that is that is a good. I mean, I, I feel like they've got a, enough of a cautionary air about it that it's not just you know they're not just sitting there quoting Tim Gunn going, "We'll make it work." But yeah, yeah, but it it, it does kind of start to set in how enormous this issue is. It's also enormously important, so I'm very glad that the government is is looking into it. And they have been looking into it. We should also, I mean, we kind of alluded to it already. This is not the first time the government has looked at cybersecurity. No, no, not at all. But it's, you know, they're seeing it as it's just going to get increasingly important as time goes on. Uh, Next, they said that the cybersecurity framework shall provide a prioritized, flexible, repeatable, performance-based, and cost-effective approach, including information security measures and controls to help owners and operators of critical infrastructure identify, assess, and manage cyber risk. This is also a huge thing. I mean it's 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 a it's a tall order because you're talking about an approach that is going to work in it, the approach ideally should work in every case across multiple industries. Um, because uh, the idea of it being repeatable means that it can't be something that oh because this threat was uh, this specific way, to this industry then it can't work for over here right. and uh-huh. or or even just that because our approach worked for this threat but the reason why it worked for this threat was because of X. Uh, that you know that might mean that it's not repeatable. So it's a very challenging thing. Again, I'm not saying it's impossible, but you know, and, and again, and there's not much they could. What else are they going to say? Like, produce an infinite number of responses that can work in any given situation, depending upon which response you're using in which industry. I mean, that just wouldn't work. Oh no, no. And they do talk a lot about scaling. They they want to make sure that this is going to work just as well for for small small companies as well as big companies and yeah sure. across the board but yeah. 
that just makes it harder. Yeah, yeah. In fact, and then the next section says you got to do all this without impacting business and privacy. So you have to come up with a way to protect our businesses and our infrastructure in, a, in such a way that it's not going to negatively impact those businesses. So you can't come up with a plan that protects everyone, but it ends up taking a cut of everyone's right. profits because they have to do Spend such so many such. work hours doing this thing, yeah. well, you know, which is why the Republicans last year filibustered that, yeah, that so, last act. And, so. and, and it's tough. I mean, uh, and we'll get into more about why it's tough in a second. Uh, also, the that's where they introduced the idea of the open public review and comment process so that this becomes a, a an evolving policy over time, uh, which... Again, I'm very glad that kind of stuff is built into this executive order. It recognizes that this is a problem that is going to change over time, and you cannot create a policy and expect it to be evergreen. And that it's going to uh, that one approach once you've once you've uh, established it is going to work forever. Uh, this is sort of interesting because there are other policies that were created back when the telephone industry was first coming into prominence that still affect how the internet works today. Wow. And there are a lot of people who, who protest that. They say, look, these were policies that were made for a much older telecommunications network that could do a very limited number of things, and now you're applying it to a much more complex system that is far more sophisticated, and the implications for how it works are far more complicated. Expecting those rules to apply to this thing uh, is unrealistic. And you've got a lot of that kind of discussion going on, mostly in, in uh, interest groups that, like, you know, that are forming up about uh, protecting the Internet. But um, anyway, that's, that's kind of a similar thing. Like the, it built into this is saying let's have this ongoing public discourse so that we can avoid this if, we, if possible. It's going to be, you know – we're going to see it anyway because it's impossible to avoid it completely, but at least they're looking into that. Uh, then you've got the la- next uh, section where it says, uh, the secretary in coordination with sector-specific agencies shall establish a voluntary program to support the adoption of the cybersecurity framework by owners and operators of critical infrastructure and any other interested entities, a.k.a. the program. Um, there's that voluntary program bit again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, I'll say that just until I finish this last one. Here's my last point. So within 150 days of the date of this order, the secretary shall use a risk-based approach to identify critical infrastructure where a cybersecurity incident could reasonably result in catastrophic regional or national effects on public health or safety, economic security, or national security. Entities identified as such can then appeal that. So in other words, if you are the head of a company – and the United States government starts to look at all the companies that are part of this infrastructure, and they identify your company as being one of the These incredibly critical. Yes, not like it's critical because of the services you provide and the likelihood that you would be a target for a a cyber attack. Um, then they could designate you as such, and you would be able to appeal because if you are one of these critical infrastructure entities you're going to have to jump through a lot more hoops than you would if you're not. So companies actually kind of have an incentive to not be one of these things because then they, they if they are one, they're going to have to conform to more uh, specific policies, right? Because right. They're, they're, they are considered critical uh, elements of the infrastructure. It takes that sticky voluntary term a little bit out of it. Yeah, it does because if they say, hey, no, really – 
really you guys. Tower grid, you, yeah. you, you are super important. And if you go down, then the United States is in a lot of trouble. So you are part of this critical infrastructure, whether you like it or not. So therefore, because of this, we need you to follow these directions. Uh, and other companies might be like, hey, you know, I'd really like it if I had more of a choice because then I could choose not to do that. And that would be awesome. So that's why there's that appeal process. And that's where we come to the problem with the voluntary nature of much of this policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea here is that, again, we don't – in the United States in particular, there's there's a stigma against the government and private uh, business. And, and I'm not saying that it's unwarranted. I'm not saying that we should have a socialist country where every single business is owned at least in part or operated by the government. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that it does mean that in order to preserve this very important, very American idea of private business, we don't let the government just come in and take over. And regulate us or or protect us to a certain point. I mean, it's sort of our business. Yeah. So there's there's a delicate nature here. And it's again, it's one of those things where it's it's a very American approach and it's it's tough to work something like cybersecurity in there and not make it a voluntary program. Because if we made it mandatory, the government would essentially be saying, look, we're not telling you how to sell your widgets, but we are telling you how to protect your network. Mm-hmm. And that gets complicated. Even even if it's for the greater good, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing. And I mean, I certainly, if I owned a big business, I would be thinking, Look, I don't want to have yet another set of policies that I have to, uh, I have to uh, keep up with and follow up with and spend my time and money taking care of. Right. I don't want to get certified every couple of years to make sure that I'm following this. Let me do it on my own. It's and- in my best interest to make sure that I'm not going to get attacked anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the business owner perspective is saying, look. I don't want to get attacked because if I get attacked, it hurts my bottom line. Mm-hmm. So I have I have a a, a market uh, driven reason to prevent attacks. But the on the flip side of that, the United States is saying, look, these attacks are sophisticated. They're coming from multiple points. They are uh, using different methods to attack different systems. And in some cases, it may just be that your company isn't a specific target, but it's part of a larger group of targets, and we have to protect the United States citizens. So there's there are valid arguments on either side. Now, making it a voluntary program helps both parties because the government isn't saying, look, you have to follow this set of rules uh, or you can't do business in the United States. And the business can say, well... Do we want to be part of this so that we can help protect our business as well as uh, make sure that in our own lives, we don't go home and the power goes off? Right, right. And this is actually kind of in contrast to, uh, interestingly enough, the European Commission also just in this past week released a bunch of cybersecurity stuff. Yep. Um and, and, and theirs sounds like it might be a little bit more mandatory. They, they want to introduce a computer emergency response team, a.k.a. CERT, to uh, introduce laws compelling companies to disclose attack details to, to this national authority. Mm-hmm. And, and that this, each, each CERT would be responsible for defending these companies against attack. So, you know, and, and it's, it's in a little bit more of a, of a planning stage, I think, than, than what Obama's order is outlining. Gotcha. But it is nonetheless, you know, just just a little bit of a contrast there. See, I just wonder if the certs are a breath mint or a candy mint. 
That's the first thing I thought as soon as you said cert. These and are my brain turned off. These are the deep questions that we ask here yeah, on the, tech stuff. It just guys. shows you how Jonathan Strickland works, which is that he is distracted by shiny things and puns. Um, and mints. And mints. Uh, yeah, they are intensely flavorful. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it, that voluntary approach is one of the things that some people are saying makes the executive order lack teeth. Because without without really providing uh, strong incentives, companies have no reason to join this. Because it, cause mm-hmm. in the long run, it will be more work to have to conform to whatever the policy requires. Now, if the incentives are big enough, whether they're you know tax breaks or whatever, then maybe companies will end up joining because they'll think, well, whatever the work is to conform to the policy, it's going to be balanced out by the incentives. So the incentives, although they haven't been really uh, you know they haven't been listed out yet, it's possible they could be uh, attractive enough for for companies to join this. But that was one of the big arguments I saw was that by making it voluntary. Uh, although every single um, business analyst I saw who said it, they said, well, the problem is it's voluntary, so it's not going to work very well. But on the other hand, if it were mandatory, everyone would be freaking out. So it's almost like there's no right approach, right? Unless, yeah, no, unless no. you're able to provide those amazing incentives. You could you could not make it mandatory and not have everyone riot. So. Yeah. So um, the, also they mentioned that the, the this framework idea – is incredibly complex, and part of that is because there are already a lot of security frameworks that government agencies have to abide by. So there's, and I could give you a, a list of acronyms and not be able to tell you what any of them mean, but I'm not going to insult you or myself by doing that. But there are a lot of uh, security frameworks already, and so this policy would have to work uh, in an alignment with those because we've already got these rules that uh, that departments in the government have to follow. And so unless they were to get rid of all that in order to streamline it, uh, this would be yet another set of rules. So you think about it. If you've ever had more than one boss, like at a time, mm-hmm. uh, and you have different uh, directions coming from both bosses and you have to figure out how to complete a project that follows all of these rules and some of them contradict each other, you know it's... I've, a, I've had that, yeah. yeah that's, it's, it wasn't fun. I didn't like that job. It's a stressful, frustrating experience. Now, expand that out to an entire government department and you understand why they can get a little antsy at times. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. 
on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit AT&T.com slash hypergig for details. Um, then also, there's still some questions about the privacy implications. Uh, while the, the executive order does talk about being uh, careful about privacy, it doesn't lay out any specifics on the approach. And so that always makes people a little nervous. Because, oh, sure. Yeah. Until, until we know the, the, the particulars, you can't really be sure that your privacy is going to be uh, protected. Yeah, yeah. No, it's supposed to be. But until, again, until yeah. we know the specifics, we yeah. can't be sure. And are we going to apply these same security measures to the uh, to the information that gets sent out as a result of these security measures? Because yeah. otherwise, yeah, ah. it's just it, it's it's yeah. a it's a definite uh, vicious cycle. Uh, and and just you know, again, because there's so little detail here, you know, it's 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 putting a lot of of responsibility on these different departments. It's hard to say how well this approach will work because honestly, we just have the framework of what it's supposed to do, not how it's supposed to do it. Right. So uh, so it's a little too early for us to say whether or not the the policy that comes out of this, assuming that one does come out of it, will be a good one or a bad one. Because and we also have to have Congress weigh in on this. Uh, this is an executive order, but if we want laws passed, that's when you start looking to Congress. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the issues that have happened in the past few years – that have to do with security online also seem to involve intellectual property, um, and that's that when, gets pretty ugly. I mean, we yeah, have things as, like as SOPA and, SIP and uh, oh, yeah. uh, PIPA and CISPA. These were things that were not just 
about protecting the well, it was about protecting businesses, using but not from cyber attacks so much as piracy. But you know, that's the kind of stuff that we see happen all the time because we've got a lot of powerful interest groups that are campaigning very hard with certain members of Congress yeah. to put forth legislation that would protect their industries and uh, possibly hurt uh, innocent users of the internet as a result, mostly through unintended consequences, not necessarily. Sure, not, not on purpose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, but, but just like the, the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act of uh, CISPA, uh, um, mm. you know, failed to make it through the Senate. It was because it was because basically the White House said in this form we're going to veto it because of privacy issues. Yeah, yeah. See, it's it's not an easy problem to solve at all. I mean, there's there are a lot of minefields around this problem. So if it were just as simple as let's oh here here's your problem your firewall for the United States wasn't flipped on let me just turn the switch then that would be great. Unfortunately, that's not the not not the case. No. Uh, So yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough. Tough uh, uh, act to uh, to enact. Really, it's going to be a tough policy to create because right. to to make it effective and yet not uh, violate our privacy or civil liberties, or put too much of a burden on private business, or not give enough incentive for private business to even get involved with it. Um, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, certainly not, and it also requires a kind of a base level of just people being aware of stuff. I mean, uh, for example, in in the news this week, last week, there was that kind of hilarious thing where where the uh, emergency alert system was hacked in uh, Montana, Michigan, California, New Mexico, I think, and they sent out that um, hackers sent out this zombie apocalypse warning. Oh, right, right, right. I remember. Th- I yeah, the the whole. Emergency alert! The dead had risen from the grave. That kind of thing. Right, right. I think, I think, yeah. Gawker. Someone reported that four people proceeded to freak right the hell out. Yeah, and they, they definitely called in. Yes, uh-huh. four people called in. Uh, concerned. Of course, they may have just called in to ask, y'all. Did you get hacked? Uh, we don't know. We don't know what the nature of the calls were. We just know that four people did actually call in. So whether or not they were truly worried that the dead had risen or they were just wondering what the heck went on, right. we don't know. Right. But supposedly, according to uh, the president of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters, uh, they, Reuters reported that they believed the hackers succeeded because the TV stations had never changed the default passwords that were installed in their hardware. Yeah. Password one, two, three, guys. It's great. And, and, and that kind of thing. I mean, just, just basic, you know, it's, it's, we really need to just educate everyone about how the internet works, maybe, or, yeah. or just make sure that everyone cares enough. Well, that people know that there are, uh, default passwords and they are pretty much standard across all devices of us from a certain manufacturer. I mean, it may be that it's admin for one and password for another, but they are standard across. And once you know what those standards are, that's the first thing you try. And you can find them on the internet. That's yeah. yeah. So you, well, you can find them by buying one. That's all you have to do is go out and you buy one of each thing. And they're not that expensive. Like you buy some routers. They're not that, t- that expensive by buying each one and installing. You see what the default password is. And then you just add that to your dictionary attack. You know, you make that priority one. So first, first round of dictionary attack, use the default password. If that works, you're golden. If not, move to step two. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not good. And then on top of that, like, uh, on a related thing, we haven't done an episode about this, but on a kind of related idea about information online and protecting ourselves and making sure we can respond to threats, uh, another report uh, that happened earlier in 2013 
was about the FBI asking, uh, essentially asking internet companies for a wiretap friendly backdoor into their systems. Now, this included everything from infrastructure to actual corporations. And the FBI said, we want to be able to get in there and check on information when we are looking for things like cyber uh, terrorists or cyber warfare attacks. I'm perhaps not thinking about the fact that every time you you cut a new door in a wall, it's that door can be used by anybody. Exactly. That's the issue here is that, first of all, most of these systems already have back doors. So really it would mean giving the FBI access to them. Because you have to have a, a way for an administrator to get hold of a system so that when something goes wrong, the administrator can fix it. As I learned in the uh, documentary Jurassic Park. Yes, very important. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, also, it shows that when you create a security backdoor that an administrator can get into, a 12-year-old girl can hack in because she knows Unix. Was it Unix? I think it was Unix. I've blocked all of that out of my this mind. This is Unix. I have no idea. I know this. I know she says I know this. And then she sits down and types, and then by the third thing, she's in. Because uh, that's the rule of three in the internet uh, of Hollywood. But yeah, the, um, the, the point here is that by introducing vulnerabilities, you have created the opportunity for the bad guys, whoever you want to say are the bad guys, to go in and infiltrate a system. So you don't. Generally, that's considered by most security experts to be what we call a bad thing. Giving more opportunity to people to infiltrate a system is not a great idea. Right. It doesn't help you be safe. No. So we've got a lot of uh, focus on this this problem. And I'm, I'm at least confident that the government is aware that there are experts out there who can help guide this conversation. Whether they listen or not, that's... You know, that, that remains to be seen, but I hope that they are careful enough to consider exactly the implications of these, these, uh, policies so that when they're enacting them, when they start to really build them out, uh, they are doing it with the most accurate information. And I already think they really do have the best of intentions as far as cybersecurity is concerned. Whether or not you agree Considering you know the business side of things, that, right, that right. that's different. But yeah. but at least from the idea of we need to protect ourselves, I think we all agree on that. That the cyber threat is a real threat, and it's a growing threat. And as we rely more and more on these systems, it's just going to get even uh, to become an even more uh, attractive target for mm-hmm. someone who wants to really wreak some havoc. Sure. So for all those Doctor Evils out there, I am not one. No, certainly not. I don't own a cat. But- so anyway, that's that's kind of the story about where we are right now as far as the, the idea of trying to protect ourselves. Uh, it, I know it was vague, but that's because, again, the, the executive order was necessarily vague. Yeah, it's all vague right now. So, you know, keep keep checking back. We'll let you know if there are any definite uh, yeah. developments. Right. And and again, I'll be amazed if this if everyone's able to meet the deadlines that are laid out in this executive order. It would It's not that it's impossible. It would just require a pretty remarkable turnaround. Yeah. So we'll see how it develops. We'll see how this could potentially impact business, uh, individuals, um, and even our, our national security. It's an important thing. And keep in mind, you know, of course, for those of us in the United States, there are lots of other nations that are looking into this as well. Lauren was talking about the European Union uh, looking into ways of protecting uh, the, the infrastructure in Europe. But this is not localized to the United States. This particular approach is, but the, the problem is worldwide. So we're just going to see lots of different uh, takes on this system and whether or not uh, any of them work better than others. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. 
So with that in mind, if you guys have any topics you would like us to tackle in future episodes of Tech Stuff, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.